0: Have you enjoyed seeing all of these young people up here? I think that is the most special part of family camp, is all the children and youth that come. And I'm thankful that you mothers and fathers and aunts and uncles and grandmas and granddads and friends bring all the children here. I love children, and I know that God has a special place in His heart for all the children. And we're all children of His, aren't we? We all belong to him, and he wants only the very best for each one of us. He wants that very best to be experienced here in this life on earth, and he wants us to be prepared to receive the ultimate joy of that experience of love with him forever and eternity. So, does God have a work for us to do as parents? What do you think? Absolutely. Cultivating Christian character in children. I have studied through three different times as a parent, three times I've been through studying the character qualities of Christ, first for my own understanding, secondly to help to understand what God is wanting my children to become. And thirdly, because I need the constant review. I studied it when my children were little. I studied it when they were in the early years of school. And then with just a few years ago, my children, as they are youth now, we went through and studied those character qualities together. And God wants to teach us as parents how to cultivate the right in our children, cultivating Christian character, now, as I've been through many times, I've seen there are a number of character qualities that Christ exemplified that he wants us to learn how to become when we become like him. There's all kind of things. Honesty, unselfish, kind, gentle, obedient. There's a number of them. And so today I'm only going to be sharing with you two But to me, they are the foundation of all character qualities. And the most important principle that I think, as the Lord has opened my eyes as a parent, is the replacement principle. And I'm going to share that with you because we're told in Romans chapter 12 and verse 21 that we overcome evil with what? Good. Good. So rather than focusing our parenting on just correcting what we see is not right, what is not Christ-like, rather God wants to teach us and he wants to help us to teach our children how to develop the right character qualities so that becomes the habit of the child. Overcome the wrong with the good. We need to spend more time cultivating good than just trying to pull out the bad, right? Or correcting the wrong. And I think of it from the gardening perspective. When we moved to the country, I was not a gardener at all. And all of a sudden, gardening became very important to us. And I read all these books and tried to do my very best. But you know I found my greatest help? is to go to people who had experience. And then I learned from them because I learned better by what I see than by, and, and see doing than by what I read. And so I found that it takes time to learn how to cultivate plants. And we put the seed in, the good seeds, but we have to nurture it. We have to help protect it. We have to pull out the weeds. And I find, and we just did it last week in our home, we've got the gardens. are all ready to be planted. But you know what's already there? Weeds. They're, they're all over. We've spent the last week just pulling weeds so we can get ready to put in the good seed. So God wants to teach us as parents how to cultivate the hearts of our children like we would a garden, overcome evil with good. So we want to talk today particularly about cultivating obedience and cultivating self-control. I believe that's the foundation of all the character qualities. Now, I'd like to tell you a little story of what our home was like when my firstborn, Allison, was between six and nine months old, and she was now old enough to start eating things from the table, getting past that baby food stage, and you could put little pieces of food on the tray, her little high chair tray, and you know what? She would take something, and if I wanted her to eat it, she would eat a little bit, and then what would she do? She'd take it, and have any of you had that experience? Most of this, right? And as a parent, I knew it really wasn't the best thing to let my child start, you know, dropping the food over on the floor. Not just because it made work for me to do, but because I didn't think that was a good habit for her to get into. As she got older, I thought it would be a little bit strange to see the child just, you know, anything they didn't want, they just drop it on the floor. And so I started to say, Allison, no, I don't want you to do that. No, Allison. And what would Allison do? What has your child done? They look at you with this smile. They look right into your eyes, and they pick up the next piece. Where does it go? Right? Just like that. And I said, Allison, Mommy doesn't want you to do that. And she'd smile, and she'd look at me, and there we go, the next one. It may go off the other side of the tray. And I didn't want to have to correct her, but eventually I I saw that she wasn't understanding my... Requests And so I might have given her a little smack on the hand. And then she would just fall apart. And I I felt like such a mean parent. God wants us to teach how to call us to cultivate the good in obedience. And I hadn't understood that when she was that young. And so we're going to be looking at ways that we can cultivate the good rather than just working to restrain what isn't good. You know, often for us parents, we, we say, well, I'm going to teach my child to obey when they understand. See, I wasn't really sure if she understood. I thought she understood what I was saying, and her expressions were there, but I didn't know how to turn and win her heart and turn that behavior from the wrong to the right. But if we listen to the common counsel that we have, oh you know, they're too little to understand. Just wait till they get a little older. What we're really saying is you wait to reason with your child till they have the verbal ability to reason back with you. At that point, we've already lost a great opportunity to cultivate in the right. I've heard mothers say, well, he's just a strong-willed child, or he just has a will all of his own. I'll Wait, because he's old enough now to decide for himself. As they get older and older and older, we as parents in our modern society have developed excuses not to really work to cultivate in the right. And and those little weeds that start out very small, they strengthen and they strengthen and they strengthen. And most of us have not understood how to surrender our hearts to god how to take hold of his power and how to find his guidance and his will to lead us how to win the heart of our child and so we've just lopped off wrong behavior lopped off the top of the weed fruit and i i thought of that the other day when i was in the garden because there was this dandelion and, and it wasn't that big on top, and we had some really big ones too, but this one wasn't that big, and I got my spade, and I was digging, we had some rain, and, and that we have to wait for rain because our soil is very, very uh, hard, and so... I was digging, 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 because I've always told my children, especially with dandelions, you know, children, when you help your parents pick those weeds, make sure you get all the root of the dandelion, because if you don't, you're going to be picking that same dandelion and not too long down the road. And if you don't really like to weed, get it done right the first time. Get it, that's right, get it done right the first time. So there I was with my spade, digging, digging, digging. And I went deeper and deeper and deeper and I would get my hand on the weed and I would twist a little bit and jiggle it, see if it would come loose. And I would dig again and jiggle it and and finally it came. And it had a massive root system. And I knew that that weed had been plucked off at the top. But the root of the problem was still there. God wants us to dig out the roots of wrong and he wants to implant in our children the roots of right-doing, righteousness, developing his character in our children. Otherwise, our feeble attempts to cut them off will only be temporary. Jesus himself, as a child, learned how to obey. Did you know that? He came with the ability to choose to do wrong, just as we have that same ability, and he had the ability to choose what was right, and Jesus learned as a child, you can find it in the book of Hebrews chapter 5 and verse 8, though he were a son, he was a child, he was a son, yet learned he, notice the word learned he, we would say in modern English, he learned It says, yet learned he obedience by the things which he suffered. Now, that doesn't mean that that everything was harsh and cruel to him. It means his experiences in life as a child from infancy through childhood, through youth, young adulthood, and even into manhood, the experiences that he went through in his life was how he learned to obey, to surrender his will to his heavenly Father. So I would like to look at six ways today that I have found that have been very helpful in cultivating obedience in, cho- in my children. And I would encourage you to write these down, just the idea, and then ask God how he would impress you to implement these. How we can begin to establish obedience in our children. When I talk about obedience... I'd like to define the word obedience is not that my child does it because they have to. Have you ever said that? Well, why do I have to do that, mother? Because I said so. We want to teach our child how to obey. We don't want compliant behavior, outward manifestations of obedience. We want the heart. True obedience means, first, that my child chooses out of love and respect, to obey. They, they choose quickly or promptly. It doesn't take them five minutes to decide if they're going to even listen to you. They choose promptly. They choose with a willing heart. And they are quick to obey, quick to respond. So I found six ways to help cultivate obedience in my children that has made it... Uh, our role as parents, my role in the home, a greater blessing to me. The first one is to make obedience as attractive as possible. Instead of just focusing on the negative, let's make obedience attractive. And everything around us in society today makes it look like if you obey, you're not going to have fun, you're not going to have friends, you're not going to get anywhere. But on the contrary, God's word shows us that if we learn how to surrender, if we learn how to obey, we will then experience the greatest joy we can experience in this world and we can be prepared for our Lord's return. Make obedience as attractive as possible. When God created man and woman and he put them in the Garden of Eden, the entire environment was motivating them. Everything in the garden was to make their their choices to have their hearts one with their creator. It made it attractive. It made it desirable for them, didn't it? Only one tree in the garden was set there as a restriction or a limitation. It was to test their love and their loyalty. So make it our obedience as attractive as possible. Show our children what they can do instead of focusing on what they cannot do. When my girls were little, in our kitchen, they liked to come in when I was doing dishes or making a meal, and they would like to come in and play around me, be it where I was. And they would open cupboards, and the pots and pans would clash on the floor, and they would go into the drawer and pull out the towels, and they'd go into another drawer, and if as as i if i was just going to let them play as their natural inclination would be to play my kitchen would have been disassembled from the countertop to the to the floor and i didn't want them to to you know basically take everything out of the cupboards and the drawers and clash them and drop them and do all these things with them and so the lord called to my heart i wanted them to obey and so first thing i said is girls don't get in the cupboards don't get there don't don't open the drawer but then the Lord said, that's not enough. Give them something that they can do. Make the obedience attractive. So the, this is what the Lord impressed me with. I had a one cupboard where I kept my Tupperware. That's pretty much indestructible as long as you don't get it by heat. And so there I said, this cupboard, girls, you can plan. This cupboard, this cupboard, these drawers, and this cupboard... I don't want you to get into, but this cupboard, you can play in. Now, I'm talking about toddlers, three and one. And so, not, not only was that what I gave them to do, but God called to my heart to go to the next step. I'm wanting my girls to obey, to give them something that they can do. And so, I sat down on the floor with them, and I took out the stack of Tupperware bowls that come in different sizes, And I showed them how to stack them in and out of each other. I took the cups and did the same thing. And now when I went back to the kitchen, if they started to go through a cupboard, I said, remember, that one's not for you. This one over here is for you. And they would go there, and they'd open the cupboard door, and they would take out the things I allowed them to play with. Making obedience as attractive as possible. Spending time to show them how to enjoy that. Rather than just saying, you can't do this and you can't do that, and I don't want you doing that either. We need to give our children something they can do, and they need our time and energy to show them how they can enjoy that. To stimulate their interest, to increase their desire, develop their skills, hand-eye coordination, makes life enjoyable for them. Children love to hear what they can do, and they need to hear more of what they can do than what they can't do. So God wants us as parents to give more of our time of the things they can do and taking the time to show them that. As our children grew older, and we were going to begin to play ball. Now, we weren't going to play ball like you would see a regular ball game being done. We were simply going to get my husband's ball mitts, and a ball, and we were going to go out and learn how to play catch. So rather than telling my children, no, we don't play ball. No, we don't want to play this. No, we don't want to do that. We took the time to take the things they had an interest in and show them how they could play it and develop skills and have an enjoyable time together. So we began in this back and forth, throwing the ball. And then one of my children decided that instead of throwing it to his mother he was going to throw it at his mother and it was interesting that as as we were you know I was trying to you know def- catch the ball just out of self-defense and so the Lord called to my heart teach your child to obey well we're just playing catch no teach your child to obey cultivate obedience through the right and weed out the wrong. You're not a target. You are a partner in playing catch. So I knew what the Lord was asking me to do. And so we talked about how the game was to be played, that you throw it to me. My husband said, it's much easier if you throw it to mother. She catches it more often. (laughs) It's more fun to play. We, we and then we talked about consequences. If it wouldn't be played that way, then they would not be able to play for a short time. You know, it only took one time to have to set the ball glove down or to give it to somebody else. And then the child saw that the joy was there for them to play the right way, cultivating the good. The second area that helps us to cultivate obedience is to make our request to our children respectfully and clearly. Speak to them with respect. And speak to them with clear expectations. I found myself many times, and I still catch myself sometimes, either not being clear and specific, being too general, or perhaps being tempted because of the pressures I feel to speak to them in a hasty word. We need to cultivate in ourselves, and the Spirit will help us. The Lord will call to our hearts to to speak to our young people with respect and clearly. Now I'm going to give you a couple of illustrations. If we speak with demanding tones, we will say something like this. Get in the house right now. It's time to come in. Do you think that engenders the child naturally desires to come running with a cheerful heart promptly and say, Here I am, Mother. No, it stirs up the passion in the heart of the child. It develops a hasty, combative response because the child is simply mirroring us as the parent. If I say to my child, Well, would you like to come in now? And I fully want them to come in the house from play. You think they're going to have an incentive to come in? Or you think it's going to give a message that says, Well, I have the right to choose. I think I'll stay out here and ride my bike a little longer. Absolutely. Be very clear and specific what we want. That helps our children to understand what our expectations are. And it makes it easier for them to know what they are to do. Rather than being a confusing message. If I want my children to come in, I simply say, Children, it's time to come in. And I can say it with a smile on my face. I can say it in a pleasant tone. And I get, most often, the right response. Because our approach to our children will engender or enlist their response in that obedience. A hesitating, doubting tone gives the child an incentive to disobey, but if we say it clearly, it gives our child the incentive to obey. The third area I found very helpful in cultivating obedience in children is continuity in discipline and I learned about this one because of my inconsistency and the, the difficult that that brought it's The Lord is trying to help each of us to be moment by moment, day by day, consistent Christians. His children. And so our children need us to be consistent with them. It's vitally important. We can't parent our children. We can't create a... And cultivate obedience in our children if we only parent them by our moods or the pressures or the circumstances that we're facing at, a, at a, any particular moment if we're in a good mood sure go ahead that'll be fine and if we're not in a good mood what happens we say no you can't do this or we have a sour disposition we, we cannot govern our children by our moods, but rather we govern our children by principle. If I'm tired, I can still be cheerful. If I'm under pressure, I can still be patient. Not in my own ability, but recognizing that without Christ I can do nothing. Therefore, when I'm under pressure, I sense the, my need of Christ in a more deep way. And as I find these pressures coming in that want to swallow me up, I recognize the patience that God wants to give me. Not to become fretful, but rather to say, Lord, I need you, so that when I speak to my young people, they understand that I still am patient and that I'm clear in what I want them to do. Cultivating obedience means that we will be... Uh, have continuity in our government in the home, in our discipline in the home. If you don't expect your child to obey you, then don't request them to do that. If I ask my child or my young person to do something, it's because I have the full expectation that they will choose to obey, that they will surrender their heart. And so how do I... In, what, is, what do I do to, in, to uh, give them an incentive in that? Even now, sometimes I'll say, Josiah, I would like you to do the floor and the wood, and when you're done, please, I'd like all the trash out of the house and put in the carport. Thank you for obeying quickly. And then I, I'm there to follow through to make sure that he, he does each of those things I ask him to do. Cultivating obedience. Don't give excessive commands. And I think for me, especially as a young child when they're very little, it's, that's something easy for us parents to do. When they are just developing and they're just learning to respond and they're learning how to give out their first kisses. You know, we parents sometimes can say, give mommy a kiss. Give me another one. Give me another one. Oh, mommy wants one more, please. Oh, let me have another one. And, you know, the child is very willing at first, but then they get very tired after a while because of the excessive commands. So just call to their heart for the things that you want them to do but don't find yourself going into these excessive commands just because it's cute, just to see their response because at some point the child will weary in that and if they choose not to and then that's allowed then you're creating and you're starting to plant those seeds of disobedience. What about when things are difficult for your children to do? Especially as they get older. How do we cultivate obedience in a child or a youth where things are getting more and more difficult? I found being sensitive to them and encouraging them and remembering that you were once a child also. I remember when each of my children went through English. And they were getting into the areas of the English where they had to diagram these big, long sentences. And they had to pick out the adverb clauses and the adjective clauses and all these phrases. And it just got mind-boggling and confusing. And you know what? When they would meet those kind of lessons, the devil was right there to tempt them, to make them feel overwhelmed. This is too hard. I can't do it. I don't need that. What do I need this for? What am I going to, I'm not going to be an English major. Why do I need to learn this kind of stuff? I know how to talk, I know how to spell, I know how to read. Why do I need this? Cultivate obedience. This is the school lesson. That is their assignment for the day. So we work with the attitudes. We work with the, the heart. And the Lord called my heart and he said, rather than just saying, you can do it, now, you know what is right. You just sit down at your desk and do the best you can and call me if you need me. The Lord called to my heart, take time. When things are difficult for your children, as even as they grow older, you need to take time to help work through those things with them. And so this is what I did. I got our big dry erase board, and I took it into the living room, and I set it there, propped it up against the couch, and I sat down on the floor with the English book and the teacher's book which had the answers in it which was helpful for me and I called my children into the living room if Alice and Emily were together when Josiah was taking it and I said let's work through this together and so I had them read the first sentence and we picked out what the subject was and then they found the verb and all the stuff that was easy they had learned the previous years in sentence diagramming and we talked about what was the next thing and the next thing and the next thing and I found that by spending that time with them on the floor, having that dry erase board and I was writing out the first sentence and I was drawing the lines and making the mark and doing the circles and all those, you know, those kind of lines that go every direction, putting everything on them, that it encouraged them. And then I'd say, okay, what does the second sentence say? Allison, you come and do this one. And we would talk through it. And the third sentence. And then I'd say, okay, now you can go back to your desk and you can finish the rest on paper. Cultivating obedience by being actively a part with them. When things are difficult, that we take time to interact with our young people, not to say to do it because it's right, but rather that we take time to encourage them in how to do what is right. So that there's clear understanding. Now what do we do when our child deliberately disobeys? Because I found that we can cultivate obedience, but there are times when my child may choose to deliberately disobey me. I found that in all three of my children. And I found that in myself. There's times the Lord has called to my heart that I don't like what he says. And so I found that the more willing I am to face myself with the Lord and take hold of his power, the easier it has been for me to help my children find that victory in Christ. But there are times when we have come up to the point where a child just doesn't want to obey. And it's very clear. You see it in their mannerisms. You feel it in the air about you. There's a countenance that's being born. You may hear it by the words they speak. You may see it in the uh, disposition or the attitudes they have toward a brother or sister in the home. And then we go back to the Word of God in Proverbs 13, verse 15. And it says that good understanding gives favor, but the way of the transgressor is a hard way. There are natural consequences to disobedience. Correction is necessary, but correction is never given to force the child to obey. If you correct your child by removing a privilege or giving them a spanking or doing any other type of discipline or corrective measure, and that is what changes their heart, then you are just changing the heart to get compliant behavior. A correction is given not to force them to obey. That correction is given to show them that they've already chosen to disobey, and this is a consequence of the disobedience. When we help our young people to understand this, we will gain great ground as parents in training our children and in cultivating obedience. But if we're just using correction to try to get a change in the outward behavior, to get them to do the dishes, to get them to do the English lesson, then we will find that they will only be motivated by your correction. And we run out of ideas for correction, and that's where you find those rebellious seeds starting in the heart of the child. And as they grow older, they say, you can't make me. No, we can't. And we should never make them because they're two and we're bigger than they are. God wants to change their heart, and He wants us as parents to help change their hearts. So it has been tremendously a blessing to me when I've understood that the correction in helping my children understand that correction that I must give you is not be- to force you to do what I ask you to do, it's because you've already chosen not to do what I've asked you to do. This is what you chose. Freeze tag, we're going to be playing that today. We were playing freeze tag with a group of people, and there was this one particular boy that if everybody wanted the girls to be the freezers and the boys to be, you know, the ones running away, he would have a different attitude. You could tell by his disposition that whatever somebody else wanted, he always wanted to do the other thing. And so we came together as a group of people, and we were going to, a few families, and we're going to be playing together. And so one of the things we've done in our home, in any activity, because recreation is meant to build us, not to destroy us. It's not wreck, to wreck our lives, not to wreck our attitudes, but to refresh us. And so in our home, if we don't allow fussing and bickering and all these kind of things in the day-to-day, neither do we allow those same kind of attitudes to be accepted in a recreation activity. So we said, we're going to play together, and we gave the rules of the game, and those of you who don't know how to play will learn this afternoon, so you'll hear the rules. And one of the things we say is that if... Whoever's leading out, if they say the girls are going to chase the boys, then we all have a good spirit we all work together and we're going to do it and enjoy it together. And then maybe next time it'll be turned around. Well, this little boy heard all of this and he just didn't care. He was going to do his own thing because he had cultivated the habit of disagreeableness. And so we started and it was amazing to watch this group of people all try to do what made this one boy happy. You know, if, if they would try to give in and do it his way, then he would want something different. And and I said, you know, we, we said at the beginning, we're all going to do this with a happy disposition. And this little boy doesn't want to play. He doesn't want to be chased by the girls. He wants to chase the girls. And the next game, he doesn't want to be ch- the chaser. He wants to be the one running away. So I said, I would encourage us that we help this little boy understand the best way. He's unhappy. To have a happy heart. He can choose. He can choose to cooperate. So I I talked with him and I said, You know, if you can't be happy and not fuss, then you'll just have to wait out this game and the next time you can come in and play the next game. That was the first time he'd ever been denied from playing the game because everybody wanted to work to try to make the little boy happy. And he sat there and he watched the game happening. Because he, he wasn't going to give up. He was just still holding to his position. So he had a natural consequence. It wasn't to force him to change his attitude to play. It's simply because he had a bad attitude that he wasn't allowed to play. That was the natural consequence. And every game thereafter, he was happy to do with whatever was suggested. Cultivating obedience in our children. The second thing I want to talk about today is how do we cultivate, cultivate self-control. And I find that, again, that obedience is the foundation. Obedience, as we begin to cultivate that in our home, true obedience, that that begins to build the path for the child to gain self-control. Self-control is the child being willing, or any of us for that matter, to be willing to resist our natural selfish inclinations, our thoughts, our feelings, and our words, and make a choice to surrender those and choose what is right. Proverbs sixteen, thirty-two. If you'd like to look with me at Proverbs 16, verse 32, we find a very important principle here. He that is slow to anger is what? better than the mighty, and he that ruleth his spirit than he that taketh the city. What is, what is God telling us? He's talking about self-control here, and how quickly our children and youth and probably many adults are quick to anger over small things, cultivating self-control, It's better to learn to rule our own spirits, have our spirit under the control of Jesus Christ, than to be strong, to think that we can take a city. A child who is taught how to surrender his heart is learning how to have self-control. Our involvement with our children, cultivating those character qualities in them. I found four very helpful ways to cultivate this self-control. The first one is that our home government is established off the word of God. The rules in our home are not based on my ideas, my husband's opinions, or the way we've been raised. But the rules in our home are based off of what God's word has to say. That's where we begin. Because we're going from a higher authority God's principles are the foundations of our home government. We read about them. I read about them in my personal worship time. My husband reads about them. Then when we come to family worship, we we read about them with our young people. Then we talk about those principles, and then we talk about how we implement those (coughs) principles. And that establishes the home government. The atmosphere of the home, if it's loving and serene and peaceful, and we as parents learn how to, uh, how to allow God to control us, and we have self-control, self-controlled in Christ, are the most two powerful ways that we teach our young people how to experience that self-control. Then we start early cultivating that self-control. One of the things that the Lord showed me is the importance of regularity in our home. One of the ways that before we had routine in order and regularity in our home, I found that my children were much more discontent, much more fussy, much more whining, much more complaining about things because they never knew what to expect. We did not have a regular rising time. We did not have a regular meal time. We didn't have anything that was really regular. The only regular thing I did was go to my work and come back on time or go to church and, and my outward... Uh, social and career life, that was all regulated, but our home life just kind of floated day to day. And I found that that made it much more difficult for my children to have self-control as well as myself. God put it in my heart to establish routine and order in our home, starting as early as we recognize it. So if you have new babies, start them on a feeding schedule. Start them on a regular nap schedule. Start regularity and schedule and routine in your home. If you've waited till your children get older, we can still start where we are. Even the reform schools that we see, when youth are so rebellious and they're not old enough to be uh, under the laws of the land by being 18 of legal age, they're taken out of their homes and are sent to reform school. You know, one of the basic foundations of those reform schools is regularity, order, schedule. Because even the world recognizes that that is very important to help a child or a youth gain self control. I found that very helpful in our home, beginning to develop a schedule in the home. My children didn't have to fuss that they were hungry. Or fuss because they wanted something when it wasn't uh, as we began to have a regular meal time, I was found that by having regular meal schedules, my children knew what to expect. And I wasn't dealing with the whining, fussing at different times through the day because they knew when they were going to eat. And their bodies got accustomed to that. And so self-control in that area began to grow. Give our children nothing for which they whine or fuss. How many of us as parents have tried to pamper or tried to meet the need of a fussy, whiny child? If you're try- if they're little and you're trying to hold them and they don't want to be held and they squiggle and worm and push and they get away and then and then you let them do that and they're not happy, and no matter what you do, you can't make them happy. Have you ever had that experience? Give them nothing for which they whine or fuss. Help them to find how to surrender themselves in self-control. I didn't understand this when mine were little, but I have observed mothers who've taken these principles and who've given themselves to the Lord to be followers of His will and His way and taking hold of the hand of Christ to help them raise their children. And I can see children at Twelve months old crying because they want something, and the mother says, When you stop crying, then. And so they come to the table and they can be patient waiting for their meal. And as my children grew older and I began to understand that we were past the, the younger years, I began to implement when when you can talk to me in a pleasant voice, when you can make your requests known to me and speak to me kindly and respectfully, then then we will go from there. And I found it very helpful. Give your children nothing for which they whine or fuss. One of the most difficult times for me when I faced this, when the Lord was showing me, was actually when my son was younger. He was probably about 16 months old to 2 years, somewhere in there. He was a very good walker and we were out visiting someone and we had gone to take a walk down this road. It was a place we had never been before and Josiah had boundless energy if he was playing with what he wanted to play with. But if it was something that I wanted him to do, he would find himself extremely tired and fatigued. Just say, let's go for a walk, I'm tired mommy, carry me, you heard it right. And yet, 30 minutes before, he's been running up and down the driveway pushing his Tonka truck. And I would be tired just watching him. So, we're on this walk. And the Lord was teaching me the importance of this principle. Give your children nothing for which they whine or fuss. And so, we started to walk along. And, of course, he decided he does not want to walk. And I encouraged him, just say, you can walk. So I would hold his hands and smile, encouraging me, walking along for a little while, and pretty soon I knew he, he'd lost his will because he, he would kind of pull down on my hand and, and, and get, you know, where he, I was more like dragging him, and I'd stop and say, Josiah, you need to walk. So I'd let go of his hand, and we'd start walking again, and pretty soon he'd run and stop in front of me. Have you ever had a child do that? Puts his arms up, carry me, mommy. And I tell you, everything inside of me wanted to pick him up and carry him. But the Lord was saying, don't pick him up and carry him. He's capable of walking. It's not a physical problem. It's an attitude problem. So I I got down, and I looked at him, and I said, Josiah, you can walk, honey. I said, you'll be happy if you walk, and Mother wants you to walk, and I'm not going to pick you up. So he looked at me, and we started walking along, and it was going pretty well for Several feet or yards down the road. And pretty soon. He was right back in front of me stopping again. And he was more fussy. And more crying. And more determined. And I was. Everything inside of me wanted to pick him up. And the Lord said. You don't need to pick him up. So we talked. And we prayed. And then. Got up. And I said. Josiah you'll need to walk. And so I started walking. And he stood there. And. I turned around and he's still standing there. And the Lord said, Keep walking. That was very hard. And I kept walking and then he started to cry. And then I was melting inside. Lord, am I being a cruel parent? Is, is this what the world calls child abuse? I mean, what if, thankfully, we were in the country because the level at which his screams were crying out, I would thought that had there been neighbors around, they might have thought that I was a pretty terrible parent. And I was just crying out to the Lord in my heart and in prayer, Lord, what would you have me to do? Encourage your son, but don't... Give him what he wants, because the cry that he was crying was a selfish cry, not a true cry of need. And I think every parent understands the difference. I am not suggesting that we don't meet the needs of our children that are real physical needs and emotional needs, but when they're self-willed, we and, and we want to work with God's way to help the heart to be surrendered instead of indulge in the selfish line then we we recognize a difference in the cries, don't we? So I kept walking, and I just rounded a corner, and then I couldn't see him anymore, and he couldn't see me. And then I stopped, and pretty soon, he comes running. And he had the biggest smile on his face, and he walked cheerfully the rest of the walk. the Lord is good. Those lessons sometimes are very hard for us as parents. They're harder on us than they are on the child. Training our children, cultivating self-control. By the way, he is not a complainer about walks. And the Lord is now at my age calling me not to complain about the walks that my son wants to go on. Training for the right. That's how we cultivate self-control. Training for the right. Make it as difficult as possible for the child to do what is wrong. I call it the heart principle. H-E-A-R-T. I'm going to give you what each of those letters stands for. The heart. Training them in self-control. Training them what is right. Making it difficult to Difficult for them to do what is wrong. The H stands for hold before our children the high ideals of heaven. Keep them ever before the sight of your children by how you conduct yourself, by your attitudes, in your worships, in your conversation. Ever uphold before your children the beauty and the standards that God has for us. Heaven's expectation. And strive with them in the Lord to meet those expectations. E, encourage victory. Encourage victory. Each victory gain makes it easier for the child to want to have self-control, self-controlled in Christ the next time. It makes it easier for them to obey. That's why I said earlier, thank you for doing it quickly. I appreciate your help. Thank you for doing such a good job. I know that was hard. I appreciate what you did encouraging the good the a always offer choices notice the word always offer choices that are good and acceptable choices some parents say well if if we raised our children what you're saying you're going to say that you only give them what's right and they never have the ability to choose anything on their own they just become little clones and they don't know how to make decisions for themselves no but we give them decisions to make by giving them decisions of right choices. Always in- offer our children choices that are right and acceptable. And then they learn from making those choices. We don't take away independence and how they learn to make choices, but we don't say, well, this is life. This is good and this is bad, you choose. When God put us in the Garden of Eden, he filled the whole garden full of good things, didn't he? There was still the availability to make a choice, but what was the ratio between good and evil? Minuscule, minuscule. Only one tree that stood for the wrong choice, and no one knows how many hundreds, maybe thousands of other choices that were right choices. Don't take your child in the library and say, well, why don't you pick a book for this week from the library? Because there's only a certain number, very limited, in a public library of books that would be for your child's spiritual edification to cultivate the good. We don't take our children in the library and say, well, you know, we encourage the reading, but we've found good resource material. And we bring that. We have a catalog that comes yearly. We say, sit down, here are the books. What would you like? All those books in there are good books. They're good choices. They're still choosing, but they're choosing from the best. They're not choosing from everything the world has to offer. Offer them what is the best, and help them develop to make choices by that, and you will be cultivating self-control. The R, remember when you were a child and don't deny them innocent wholesome pleasures just because you don't feel like it just because you're not in the mood just because you don't want to be bothered remember what it was like when you were a child and don't deny your child innocent wholesome pleasures just because it's inconvenient just because you're too tired just because you don't want the mess we learned how to can and that is a big job. How many of you have ever canned anything? Oh, you are sisters and brothers at heart. (laughs) And so we would go to the farm market and we would buy boxes of peaches, boxes of pears, boxes of apples. And they have a way of all ripening on the same day, don't they? (laughs) (laughs) Most always. And so maybe we had three or four boxes of peaches. Now, myself alone in the kitchen peeling 20 nearly 100 pounds of peaches i'm going to be in there a long time aren't i then i have to get them in the jars and do this and do that and so my the lord helped me to see the importance of having my children participate with me encouraging them and and making it a family thing so i taught them from a young age how to help me can when josiah was four he sat in his father's lap and learned how to peel pears with a knife I didn't, we didn't give him the knife at four and say, peel a pear. We had him sitting with somebody and helped him learn how under supervision. So the canning's over. Maybe we have spent five or six hours in the day canning, and I am wiped out. We can on a wood cook stove, and we do it in the summer. So you can imagine what the kitchen feels like, right? As you keep putting wood in the stove to get those temperatures up, to boil all these things, and you put through how many batches? Maybe you do 60 quarts of peaches in a day. And all these empty boxes are left. And what do I want to do with the boxes? I want them to go out to the carport so they can be thrown away. What do my children want to do with the boxes? They want to play with them. They want to build a box house. They want to build it on the deck outside. You know, so that when the cars drive by, they can see it. And so here they are. The Lord says, don't deny them innocent pleasure. So all the boxes became property of my children. They stacked those boxes, very orderly, made the walls of their box houses. They would turn them so that the the inside of the box could be for cupboards and shelves and whatever their child creative imagination would do. They would go bring things out of their rooms. Everybody had something to contribute to that house, whether it was dolls or blankets or cars or whatever, and it all came into this house, and they would play out there. And I would play with them because God told me to. I would have rather been sitting in on the couch. And I wasn't in there all the time, but I would crawl in the door. I would sit there with them on the ground, and we would play. And this box house would be on the deck for weeks. And we enjoyed it. Cultivating self-control. All those hours they helped me. Why can't we enjoy the pleasures of innocent childhood? The T in the word heart. Training for the right. Tongue control. We get ourselves into more problems with our tongue than with anything else, right? Tongue control. Training for the right in tongue control. The Lord gave me many things to work on in my personality. Speak with respect. Speak in a normal tone of voice. Speak softly. Speak words of encouragement. Think before you speak. All of these things the Lord began to show me. And then the Lord showed the need in my children to develop those same things. The lack of much self-control where a child becomes angry and irritable and very verbal is because they've not learned how to tame the tongue. Training our tongues for godly words that encourages self-control. In our home, we look for ways to encourage that and we as parents participated in that. We have had all kinds of games, activities through the children's growing up years, even into their youth years on things that we would do together as a family to c- learn how to speak more kindly, speak more respectfully, speak uh, words of encouragement versus the natural inclination to speak short uh, words or frustrated words or words of irritation or impatience. We had a little jar there and if, the, if, if any of us didn't um, speak the right kind of words we had to take some money out of our personal uh, accounts and put it into the jar. So we did it on the corrective side. And then we did the same thing on a motivating side. We took money. Each of the children had a little area. We gave them dimes or nickels, depending upon their ages. And they had them there. And when we would hear them choose to have self-control in how they talk, they could take a nickel and put it in a jar. Take a nickel and put it in their jar. So that was one thing we did back. and we We tried several things. There were times I had to give corrections, and the Lord said, Have your child go to their desk, get a sheet of paper, and write 10 things that they appreciate about the one they just spoke unkind to. Now, we're talking about an older child, not somebody who can't read or write or spell. We're talking about maybe it can even be a youth. Sit down and then have them bring the list to you. Maybe you're going to have them do something for that other person they've wounded with their words. God wants us to develop self control with our tongues. He tells us, keep your tongue from speaking evil and your lips from speaking guile. Cultivating self control in our children, working for the heart in everything that we do. God will give us wisdom, He will give us encouragement, He will give us direction. And he will give us his energy to carry it through. All he needs from me and all he needs from you is a willingness to say, Lord, I choose your way. Then he provides the rest. I know from experience, he gives me the ideas. He gives me the energy. He gives me the desires even when they're not there. He just needs a willingness on our part to be co-laborers with him and cultivating a beautiful heart in our children, a Christ-like character. He doesn't need us, but the work is much easier with us because there's no one on earth who loves your child as much as you love your child. So don't think they're going to get it filled in the school. Don't think that you can just take them to church every week and there they will learn how to be Christ-like. God wants us as parents to teach our children and train them how to have hearts and characters that reflect the beautiful image of Jesus Christ. Desiree is going to close us with prayer. And as we kneel together, let's open our hearts up before the Lord and say, Lord, teach us how to cultivate your character in our children. Shall we kneel together? Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for the things that Elaine has shared with us today. Please help us to apply them to our own families and to listen to your will and give us guidance in applying them. Thank you for the um, obedience that you've given us to teach our children. Please help us to make it attractive to them so that they will obey willingly and with a cheerful heart. Please give them self-control and train them and help us to have heart principle when we train them. Thank you so much. For our families, please train them and make them faithful so that we can join you together for eternity in heaven. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse